may be seated. got a full house in the back. Welcome guys, those chairs are comfy, aren't they? We thought about ripping out the pews in the front and putting those chairs up here so that way it would increase uh, front row attendance, but I understand we are a Baptist church, so it's okay. And we taped off half of the pews up here, so you guys really do have an excuse. It's okay. So we are going to be looking at 2 Timothy again. If you remember on Mother's Day, I gave a message from 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, the first seven verses, where Paul in prison, uh, this is his last letter that he's writing to uh, Timothy, who is young in the ministry, and he's encouraging him to be strong in Ephesus where he is, and that he is going to face certain trouble. And this is what he should remember, that in verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's pray before we read our text today. Father, we thank you again for allowing us to come freely in this country to worship you, to preach your word, to teach your gospel. And we pray that you would speak through me, that I would only remember that which I have studied that is important to the text. Father, help me to speak clearly, and may you use your spirit to touch hearts and convict of sin. In your name I pray, amen. Second Timothy chapter 1. Did I say 1 Timothy? We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 12. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with his holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Paul again encouraging Timothy to not be ashamed in verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Sometimes it is easy to just stay quiet when we should take a stand for things. Paul is telling Timothy that 
he is not to be ashamed of not just the gospel, but also Paul, who is his mentor, who is locked up for preaching the gospel. Okay? This, this time period is not very friendly for Christians. And Paul knows that, so he is encouraging Timothy to not only not be ashamed of God and Jesus and the gospel, but not to be ashamed of Paul either. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Suffering is imminent, right? Rely on the power of God to help get you through that. Now, I need a volunteer from the audience who is able to stand on two feet. Tracy, come on up. So, we are... We're going to show a little bit of an example of what it may look like uh, to rely on yourself. Now, I need you to stand against this wall facing that way and slide your left foot all the way over against the wall, okay, and put your shoulder against the wall, okay? Now I need you to lift your right leg. Lift, Lift your... Lift your right leg. Lean, lean harder. Lift your right. Lift it up like this. You can't. Okay. Now slide your slide your leg over. Okay. Yep. Lean hard now. Shoulder width apart. Now lift your left leg. Lean on the wall. Now, how long could you stand there like that? Five minutes. He could probably stand there longer than that. Okay, so give Tracy a hand. Thank you for volunteering. Okay, so the first, the first example, with your foot that close to the wall and leaning on the wall, you cannot lift your leg. I, I challenge you on Facebook, those people that are watching in our living room, I'll give you a second. Go ahead, get up, go to the wall and try this. I had to actually try it myself. So I was like, why can't he lift his leg? But it is the epitome of leaning on yourself. And you absolutely cannot do that. If the wall we picture as God, you lean on that as your second leg, you can stand there for a long time, leaning Paul says to Timothy, do not rely on your own power. Rely on the power of God. Don't be surprised by the suffering. You are going to have various trials. A lot of us like what we hear from the Apostle Paul. We, We like to take his encouragement in his different letters from the Philippians and Ephesians and so forth. But do we really want to engage with him in the suffering that he suffered? In Acts, we see a pattern of persecution and praise. Persecution and praise. Even in today's society, we find that we suffer some things for the gospel. And that that is okay 
and that we are to lean into that suffering and lean on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you turn with me real quick, leave your hand in 2 Timothy. Turn with me to Philippians 4.13. It's a familiar passage to many of you. Philippians 4.13 says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I am able to do all things through myself. Right? Through him who strengthens me. Again, turn quickly to Psalm 125, verse 1. Psalm 125, verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. It cannot be shaken. Now, when Tracy was leaning against the wall and tried to lift his opposite leg from the wall, he was easily shaken. He couldn't even hardly get his foot off the wall or off the floor. Um, and it feels, when you go home and try this, or even after the service, some of you are going to go up to the wall and try this, uh, it feels, even before you pick your foot up off the ground, that you're going to fall down. It is the craziest thing. But for some reason, we don't feel that when we rely on ourselves to be able to pull us through daily tasks. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and really dig in ourselves. Not relying on Christ. So I thought about how to preach this sermon. And I could give you four easy steps to not being ashamed. That sounds like a good self-help program, right? Four easy steps to not being ashamed. You just read this book and you'll learn the four steps. And if you do those four steps, it'll be just fantastic. So I, I decided to scrap that because we're not here in the business of self-help. We're in the business of relying on God to hold us up. So while Paul does explain to Timothy in verse 8, that he should not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of him as a prisoner, instead sharing the suffering of the gospel, relying on the power of God, he does not then go into, this is how you do it. What he lists are four things instead that enable us to walk unashamed in this brutal culture. First, in verse 9, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Who saved us and called us? God. God has done this work. God has saved us. God has called us to a ministry. God has given us a spiritual gift. Salvation is not of ourselves. He is the one who saves us, and let's not be too quick to get over that fact. We did not save ourselves. We do not save ourselves by doing good works, by coming to church, by giving our offerings, by getting baptized. He saves us. 
and calls us. So the first step, not step, the first thing that enables us to live unashamed is remembering that it's not us who saves us. It's God who saves us. Secondly, salvation, according to God's purpose and grace, remember that you're not saved according to your works. You're not the best. Did you ever hear or get one of those little stars on your homework paper? You're the best. You're not the best. You're not the most capable for this job. Continuing in verse 9, it says, Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Let us remember that God is awesome. You're not awesome. God doesn't need you to be awesome. We studied a couple weeks ago in youth group, how do you prove God exists? God doesn't need you to prove that he exists. He proves it himself. Second thing is to remember that God is awesome and that we do not save ourselves according to our works. Verse 10 says, This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. God has conquered death through his Son, Jesus Christ. The third thing that enables us to live a life unashamed is God has conquered death. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What can they do to him? Paul would probably be the worst candidate for somebody who's persecuting Christians. Like, what are we going to do to this guy? We lock him up and he sings praises to his Lord and he evangelizes the, the prison guards. We let him go, and he preaches the gospel all over, and thousands of people hear and come to know the Lord. What can you do to a guy who's already dead? To live as Christ and to die as gain. Do you really wrap your brain around that? To live as Christ? What persecutions can we really experience? Now, here in the United States, we don't get very much persecution at all. We may worry that some people think that we're a little bit crazy or don't want to hear what we have to say to them or might walk away or slam a door in our face or call us silly. Really? That's what we're willing not to share the gospel for? Is because somebody might call us silly? 
That's what we're ashamed about. What can they do to us? And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you guys. Because I remain quiet a lot. Because I don't remember that I'm not awesome. And that God is. And I try to put my own two feet on the ground and say, I'm go- all right, I'm going to do this this time. So the third thing again is that remember that death is dead and that it has been conquered through Jesus Christ. Number four, know who you have believed in. Who is it that we believe in? Who is it that we are not supposed to be ashamed of? This is one of the most life-changing questions I ever asked myself. Who is it that I believe in and why? And can I show somebody from Scripture why I believe this and why it has changed my life? I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to guard which has been entrusted to me until that day. Know who you have believed in. Now, some of us have heard the phrase, you think too much of yourself. You think too highly of yourself. Think less of yourself. Well, don't think less of yourself as in you're not capable or you're not good enough. Think less of yourself. Think more about God. The bigger we become and the smaller we get, or the bigger we become and the smaller God gets, the less confidence we have to stand in the face of trial. The bigger God gets and the less we get, the more confidence we have to walk in obedience, to trust and obey as we sang. If you know that you have trained and trained and trained for the football game coming up, and we've seen this time and time again, Every football team runs out on the field like they are going to take the bull by the horns and they are just going to massacre the opponent. Now, if we were to go to a football game together, let's just say we're going to Ohio State game, and we, I don't know if anybody has been down there, but the atmosphere is unlike any other. There is no doubt in anybody's mind in that stadium or in the parking lot around it that Ohio State isn't going to just smear the opponent. Whether or not their team is good or not, everybody has the confidence that Ohio State's just going to win. And this is the case in all football arenas around the world. 
their team is going to win. The bigger their team gets, the more confidence they have to stand behind it. Okay? So as their team gets better and better throughout the year, and they're undefeated coming to the last couple games of the season, it's even all the more apparent that they're going to take home the trophy. And the fans are crazy. And they're going wild because they have the confidence that they have already beaten somebody else this past season who is a lot better than the team that they're taking on now. So this is not going to be any problem. I've been there, not only at Ohio Stadium, but also I've been there personally. I've done this before. I can take on this person. I can, I can win this argument. They're not going to get the best of me this time. The more I think of myself, the more confidence we have in ourselves. So it's coming to the last game in the season, and it's the worst team in the conference that we're taking on. It's a no-brainer. We've got this. We've got confidence. We put some of that training aside because we're just going to coast in, swoop this team, and it's going to be nothing. And they shut us out 56 to nothing. What happened? They had their confidence in the wrong thing. Instead of having their confidence in their training and how to run the plays and how to perform and execute the plays and make tackles and break tackles, they relied on their mind and said, we've got this. They didn't rely on their training. In the same way, we go out, we try to live a godly life in our, in our jobs, in our families, and we experience trials. We experience layoffs. We experience discipline from the boss by maybe coming off your break a little bit late by showing up late, by leaving early, by the coworker that works next to us that we don't really care for. And we forget our purpose of being there. So the bigger God gets and the smaller we get, the more confidence we have to walk in obedience. Thinking too highly of ourselves, thinking too, too much that we have this in the bag, that we got it. What happens when I do win that final football game of the season? Look what I did. We beat that team. We knew we could do it. Who did it? We did it, right? the bigger God gets, 
We give him that glory. So thinking too highly of ourselves robs God of the glory of what he's done through our life. It robs us of the joy as we walk in obedience, regardless what the visible results of our obedience actually are. Have you guys ever walked in obedience and not experienced joy? Sometimes walking in obedience is hard. Sometimes walking in obedience is painful. The visible results that we personally see, man, I didn't get that job, or I didn't, I didn't this, and I didn't that. Sometimes the visible results are not there. But if we give glory to God and put him in his right place, we will see that it wasn't our doing in the first place. And therefore the results aren't against me. If I go out to witness to somebody and tell somebody about Jesus, and they slam the door in my face, are they slamming the door in my face? They just don't want to hear about Jesus. It's not my message. He saved me. He called me according to his purpose. So if you're rejected, if you don't win that final game, give glad the glory. Stop thinking about yourself. And see what God has in store for His will being accomplished in your life. Maybe take a step back and look, what did I put my trust in for that? Sean and I were talking this morning even about how far we've come in our digital transmission. Now I have absolutely no clue how the live stream is going today. It might already be a train wreck and this statement may just not fit in. Sean is not sweating right now, so I think everything is going okay. It's questionable, he says. All right, but how we've come from three months ago is unbelievable. So I can pat myself on the back because I looked up which cameras to buy, I looked up the software used, I, I looked up what cables to run, how to hook them up on the Wi-Fi, how to get them to live stream to Facebook and YouTube, how to adjust the website to make it show for everybody that wants to see it online. Good job, Pastor Tim. Thanks, Lowell. <laughs> no, it's not because of me. I talked to Pastor Matt probably, oh, it was probably in halfway in between the shutdown and I don't know if you're watching Matt but hey I love you and uh, he said to me it is amazing how God appointed a time when you could come into this church knowing that this was going to happen that we needed somebody with some technological skill to be able to continue to have church while church doors were shut he said, if I was there, I wouldn't have the drive to do it. I wouldn't have the drive to be on Facebook, to be on the social media. 
said, that is part of your gift and your calling. Part of my previous job and all the training that I have had through website design and everything like that, it just fit naturally. I could take that glory myself. And where would that get me? I would receive a pat on the back, maybe from 10 of you, and the other 40 of you probably leave here thinking, man, he's full of himself. (laughs) But if I give God the glory for that, praise God for calling me to this church, not only so I could hook up three ridiculous cameras so that we can reach the world outside of the walls of these churches, but that he would use me to preach his gospel to you guys, to the world, through Facebook, through YouTube. If you'd have told me that two years ago, I'd have thought you were crazy. So who am I going to give the glory for? Remember the fourth point. Know who you believe in. Do you believe in yourself? Are you leaning on yourself? Like Tracy was trying to do? Are you leaning on God? So I need to bring fathers into this. We are in a sad state. Not only in the United States of America, but in our world where fathers are absent. For whatever reason, for being locked up in prison, for making bad choices, for divorce, for whatever reason, men are not stepping up to be fathers. There are many statistics, which I'm sure you've all heard of the higher rates of promiscuity, the higher rates of drug use, the higher rates of uh, imprisonment for those children who do not have a father involved in their life. So fathers, I want to talk to you about being a model for your children. This again is not a four-step self-help program. All I'm asking you is to remember these four things that God did, not you. And relay them to your children and to those who see you as a father figure. Remember that God has saved us, not ourselves. Do not rely on yourself. Rely on other Christian brothers We are going to soon be starting up our men's ministry again. Man, I miss that. Where we get together with just six or seven guys and encourage each other. Do not rely on yourself. Rely on godly counsel. Rely on wisdom. And rely on Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Secondly, guys, remember that you are not awesome. You're not capable, you're not awesome, you're not the best. Somebody else can do it better than you. 
You don't have all the answers. You don't need to fix everything. Right, guys? When, I, when my wife talks to me, instantly Mr. Fix-It puts on his belt and says, I got the perfect solution for that problem, honey. She's smiling back there. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. She says, I don't want you to fix my problems. I just want you to listen to me. Okay. Guys, you do not have all the answers. You're not awesome. God is awesome. He has the answers. Revolve your life around him. Number three, remember that death is dead. We are called to die to ourselves daily. Remember that you are dead. What can they do to you? Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't cower because somebody's going to call you silly. Be bold in your quick Christian witness. Stand up for the one who died for you. And number four, know whom you have believed in. And if you evaluate your life right now and say, I know who I am believing in, and that's myself. Right now is the time to change that. Do not believe in yourself. See, number four and number two are very similar. Know whom you believed in because, why? Because you're not awesome. He is. And if you're believing in yourself or some other person, your mentor, your dad, you're not giving God the glory and you're robbing him of that glory and you're robbing yourself of the joy of walking in obedience with him. Fathers, be a model for your children on how to lean on God, rely on his strength, and not think too highly of yourself. I think sometimes, well, most of the time, things are easily said than done, right? That's why I'm not giving you a four-step program. I'm not saying, all right, sermon's over, we're going to sing a hymn, and then after that, all you guys step out here and we're going to line up and practice steps one through four on how to be not ashamed. That's not what we're doing. We have one thing to do. One thing. And that is to trust in what God has already done for us. These things God has done for us, we have not done them ourselves. He has saved us. He has called us. His purpose, His grace, given to us in Christ Jesus, He abolished death. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He appointed us. I'm not ashamed because I know whom I believe in. And my prayer is that you do too. Father, thank you for being awesome when I am not. For thanking 
We thank you for what you've done in our lives that we so often take for granted or we consider it that we did it ourselves. And Father, we just pray that you would help us with your spirit to give those things over to you, that we would look to you for our strength, that we would not lean on our own understanding, but acknowledge you in all our ways, and that we would have the joy that comes with walking in obedience with you. In your name I pray. Amen.